when the digestive system is in overdrive working to digest, you know, heavy meats and fast foods, processed foods, alcohol, coffee, sugar, all these processed foods, our immune system, which is where a lot of our cleansing and detoxification comes from, it takes a backseat because all of our energy is centered around digesting these foods. But once we remove some of the burden from the digestive system, our body, which is our own best healer, like we're designed to keep ourselves alive. We're constantly in a state of, you know, removing unwanted cells, recycling, repairing, healing constantly every day. It's why we sleep. It's to repair and to get ourselves back to that level of homeostasis. And we're so amazing. We're such amazing creatures. We do that so well, but we just need to support the body to do what it was designed to do. So having more nourishing foods, more simple and gentle foods really allow our body to just do the work. Welcome to Conversations with Soul, a podcast with the intention to bring you back home to yourself. These heart-to-hearts are hosted by Miri and Liz, the co-owners of Soul Cleanse, a holistic health offering specializing in organic juice and whole food cleanse programs, plus so much more. With our guests, we will be diving into conversations about holistic health, spirituality, emotions, relationships, sustainability, plus other juicy topics that light us up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Soul. It is Liz with you here today and I am joined by Chaska Somerville who is an Ayurvedic practitioner and author of the most beautiful book Ayurvedic Rituals. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. Oh thank you. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today about Ayurveda and gain a deeper insight into this beautiful ancient healing modality and also to gain some of your insight on how you think Ayurveda pertains to cleansing. But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you first how you discovered Ayurveda and how it entered your life and how you ended up studying it. So it was a bit of a a slow journey with a few seeds planted along the way. I was living in Melbourne. I was working full-time as an independent filmmaker and um, had no real concept of Ayurveda yet, but had a yoga practice and I actually went over to India with my yoga school just on a little trip and I just started seeing the word popping up and there were cooking workshops and um, treatment rooms and I had an Ayurvedic massage and it was absolutely life-changing, super healing. And I was just like so curious, like what is this Ayurveda? It just seems like it's in all these different domains, like in therapies and then in like the kitchen and all of these places. So it's just, it planted a few seeds And I came back to Australia and just kind of burnt myself out working on a really big project and I just couldn't look at a screen any longer. So I went up north to the Northern Rivers where my family are and I just felt this big pull to put my hands in the earth. I just wanted to literally stick my hands in um, a bucket of dirt and work with plants and get away from the digital world just for a little bit. I just needed a break and to recalibrate. So I found the Ayurveda course online in when I was up there. It was in Byron. So I moved there and studied and it was a two and a half year course and I just loved every minute of it. It was just like every part of it resonated with me and 
yeah, I've just kind of been carrying the torch ever since. So it was a big leap of faith then. Yeah, it was a huge change. It was the opposite opposite direction of where I was going. And I never saw myself as a health practitioner. And I certainly didn't have any intentions of doing that when I started studying. It was really just for myself and as, you know, just a, a means to heal myself and create more balance and ritual in my own life. And, you know, afterwards I was just so passionate. I couldn't stop talking about it. And one thing led to another and I was doing consultations and mm. it all just evolved from there. It's so common that you hear people go on a healing journey to really heal themselves and then it just takes a whole different trajectory and takes over your life really because you can't help it want to share that with other people totally it's infectious yeah so what is Ayurveda or Ayurvedic medicine so Ayurveda is known as the world's oldest system of healing Uh, it's the sister science of yoga so I like to think of it as the all-encompassing lifestyle that supports yoga. So if you think about what a yogi would cook, how they would live their day, you know, what lifestyle practices, what movement practices, um, what kind of healthcare they would use. So, you know, prevention over cure, using natural plant-based remedies, and, you know, just living daily in a means to prevent disease from actually happening. There's also curative properties as well if someone is ill um, because, you know, in the West we often wait until we're sick and then we look for something to either ease the symptoms or make the imbalance go away. But Ayurveda is all about preventing it. It's a holistic modality, meaning that it really values the emotions and our mental health as a direct link to our physical well-being. Um, And, you know, there's a premise on all disease sort of beginning with the mind. So things like our lifestyle, our stress, um, what we do for work, all of those things and how they affect us um, has a direct link and a really strong impact on our gut health, our nervous system, our physical well-being, our skin, our, our appearance, all of it. So it's a really broad and somewhat vast science. Uh, It's over 5,000 years old, but at the root of it, it's really all just living as we were designed to do. So living, you know, in flow with nature and our environment and respecting ourselves, our fellow mankind, animals, the planet. There's a lot of, you know, toxic free, zero waste, emphasis on organic. It's just a really beautiful way of living. And it's Mm. also known as the art of living, which is just so gorgeous and it is it is a very romantic and sensual mm. science so mm-hmm. a beautiful way um, to infuse more of that poetry into your daily life gosh it sounds beautiful <laughs> and you mentioned that it was developed over 5000 years ago so i can imagine that obviously with our modern lives there would be a bit of a discord between how ayurveda was developed and the world that people lived in 5000 years ago and perhaps the time they had compared to now Mm. and how quote-unquote busy everybody is, Mm. I can see that there would probably be hurdles that people really face to really embodying that lifestyle. How do you, I guess, mentor clients with that? So I think it's all about, because obviously we, you know, we live these very fast paced lives and Mm. people are worried if you look at some of the Ayurvedic practices, you know, a lot of them happen in the morning, the dinacharya, the daily practices, and people go, I don't have enough time as it is. How am I going to make more time to do more things? But the thing is, once you start implementing these practices into your life, you actually, you get much deeper rejuvenative sleep. So you don't need as much sleep. 
So if you're going to bed at, you know, midnight and you've been on your phone all night, you're having really light, really broken sleep, finding it really difficult to get to sleep. So if in the morning you're feeling like, you know, you want to sleep in or you're not jumping out of bed with this vibrant energy. So it actually allows you to get so much more out of the day. So you're having this beautiful sleep, you're waking up, you're doing your practices, they're nourishing you, they're making you feel so amazing throughout the day. You've got that anchor, um, you've developed that resilience, you've taken care of your self-care, so you just feel armoured for the day. Um, so it's really, it's about creating a rhythm with it and, you know, developing it over time. It's, you don't need to wake up tomorrow and start living a full, you know, Ayurvedic daily practice. There's, you know, it's a lot of slow cooking. There's a lot of cooking from scratch, these kinds of things, which do take a little bit of time to get your head around and to become confident with. But mm. once you do it, it just becomes second nature. Like mm-hmm. I'm in the kitchen now cooking kitchery, throwing it together. And it just doesn't, it feels like, you know, I'm not even having to think or, you know, use a recipe or anything like that. So it's just something that you can begin to integrate slowly over time. Mm. as well it's like um instead of taking you know there's so many different healing modalities and cherry picking different things it's really stepping into a way of living mm. rather than just trying to add another thing to your to-do list it sounds absolutely like. yes yeah. I completely agree that's beautifully said mm. um well, I did my yoga teacher training oh maybe like seven eight years ago and I learned a very fine slither of Ayurveda as regarding to the Ayurvedic doshas, which I found really fascinating and I resonated with so much. So I wondered if you could share the concept of an Ayurvedic dosha and about the three doshas and maybe three common things that you find with each of them and how that might relate to someone that's listening. Yeah. So I'll try and simplify it because it is quite a vast um, concept once you start digging into it, because basically Mm -hmm. everything on earth, including inanimate objects, animals, people, seasons, time of day, phases of our life, they're all influenced by a dominant dosha. The doshas are made up of the five elements. So they're known as the Panchamahabhutas, which are ether, air, space, water, and fire. So everything on our planet and in the universe is made up of varying quantities of these um, five great elements. And the doshas break it down. So there's three categories of the doshas, which are a combination of two of each of the elements. So there's vata, which is made up of space and air. So it's really light physically in a person who's dominated by vata, we usually see like a a more thin, petite frame, thinner features, more thin hair and thinner skin, but naturally, yeah, quite petite. They struggle to put on weight. They're sort of the light. If you think of that air element, they're really light. And that can manifest in the body in aggravations with, you know, bloating, gas, indigestion. If you think about air, airiness, brain fog, anxiety, confusion, inability to finish tasks, those kinds of things. But on the flip side, they're also, because they're so light, they're light on their feet, they're amazing dancers, um, they're really social, really creative, they're great in community, they're the kind of people that float down the street and say hi to everyone. They know everyone, you know, they're just like friends, friends of all. So there's always these kind of polarizing strengths and weaknesses. And it's, it one, once you do get to know it, it's a beautiful way to help you understand yourself and your strengths and weaknesses and make sense of it. Um, so Pitta is the combination of fire and water, but mainly fire. So these people are 
the natural born athletes, they've got a stronger frame. They're sort of like those people that just always look toned and muscular, um, but they do love to exercise. They have strong routine. They're quite competitive. They can get hot headed. So if you're thinking about that fire element, it's like they can get a bit aggro, a bit stressed, take life quite seriously. They're quite strict on themselves. You know, they don't falter from their routine. They need three meals at set times a day. Otherwise they're getting hangry. There's all of that fire, but um, to balance that out, they make really good leaders and really great politicians and, you know, they're the ones that kind of like hold space and mm. create the structure for our society. Um, a pitta aggravation or imbalance in the body can look like too much fire. So think of like fever, excess perspiration, diarrhea, reflux, headaches, rashes and breakouts on the skin. So when that fire is trying to release itself from the body, it'll come out through the skin. So any problems with acne or dermatitis are often pitta conditions. It's just that, yeah, that heat. And then there's kapha, which is the combination of, of water and earth, but more so earth. So these are the really grounded, um, heavier set people. So mm -hmm. bigger bones, more of a tendency to put on weight. Like they've really got exercise to keep the weight off. Thick, plump skin, plump lips, luscious hair, you know, because they hold on, they retain whatever they consume. So they need to have more um, lightness. They can get a bit heavy. I think of like boots stuck in the mud. Mm -hmm. So they can become more reclusive, more introverted, a bit more on the emotional side. So they're stagnant. So those kinds of aggravations can manifest as like too much congestion in the body. So it's the water element as well. So it's like any instances with mucus, like pneumonia, fluid, fluid retention, edema, obesity, too much stagnation, too much liquid in the body. So this is really balanced through movement. So we're always working with the, the polarizing qualities. So if someone's mm -hmm. too heavy and stuck, we want to do the opposite. So movement, socializing them, getting them out, team sports, being active, being creative, all these things that will help to balance it out. And then there's mm -hmm. different diet um, practices as well. So for a kaffir Thai, because they're quite heavy, they need quite light food. So they need more of the vata foods, which are like the cruciferous vegetables, the lighter foods, like crackers and things like that, which will dry out some of that extra mucus. Mm -hmm. um, whereas for a pitta person, because they're so hot, they kind of want to avoid spices and stimulants and go for more cooling foods. All of the greens, anything astringent to help to reduce that moisture as well. And then for a, cafe, for a vata person who's really light and social and airy, they need really grounding food. So they need like root veggies, things that are literally grown in the earth that will help to anchor them down and balance mm -hmm. them out. And, you know, they can use time alone because they're so social. They get burnt out and they get, you know, if there's too much vata in the system, then, you know, having some quiet times, some solitude, some meditation, some journaling, some introspection will just help to balance them out. So it's a, I think the doshas are really just tools for helping us to understand ourselves, understand other people and how we can implement balance on a daily basis. So you might know your innate constitution, um, but it's really where we're imbalanced in the moment that we want to work with. So you could be a vata type, but if you've got a pitta aggravation, you really want to work to bring that pitta down. Mm -hmm. Because if you just stick with, you know, a vata, you know, diet suitable for a vata, you'll continue to aggravate that pitta. Mm -hmm. So it's really with working with your 
your daily fluctuations or any kind of more long-term overarching imbalances. I was going to ask that because as you were describing each of the doshas, I see myself in a little bit of each of them, but I'm definitely dominant vata. So I guess it's really beautiful because it's teaching you to have that daily relationship with yourself. It's not like this diet that you set and forget. You're constantly having to check in and see how your body's responding, where you're out of balance and how to come back into balance. Yes, totally. And that's the beautiful thing about Ayurveda is you do create this like friendship with yourself. I call it like the love language with your inner world. Um, So checking in, you know, when you wake up, how do you feel? Do you feel energized and ready to jump out of bed, like feeling vata energy? Or are you feeling like hot-headed and stressed and like, oh, my God, what have I got to do? My to-do list, like that's quite pitta. Or are you feeling Mm -hmm. like you just want to stay in bed and you're feeling a bit emotional and melancholy, like that's kapha? And then knowing what you can do to balance that out, to shake up that energy so that you can, you know, move throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you eat, when you have a meal, how did it make you feel? Did you feel energized? Like you can keep working or go for a walk or does it make you feel like you just want to sit on the lounge and watch a movie? And then mm-hmm. once you start to recognize these reactions, you can really start to curate a lifestyle for yourself that really honors, every, you know, your essence, your being, and helps you just get the most out of your day so that you're always feeling your best. So beautiful and eloquent. Mm. (laughs) I guess people have like a dominant dosha. Do you find that they can change throughout their life? Like say I'm dominant Vata in 20 years, I could become dominant in Pitta or are you usually kind of, you know, that's kind of what you're going to be for. So there's two different doshas that you work with. One is your prakriti. So that was determined at the time of your conception. So before you're even born, it's a combination of your DNA, your karma, your astrology, which is known as joytish in Ayurveda. Um, That doesn't change, but because of, you know, family, friendships, school, education, society, media, all of these things influence us heavily. So this will affect your dosha, your your diet and lifestyle will affect your dosha. So it's not actually affecting that innate dosha that will always remain, but it is affecting your vikriti. So that's the top level dosha that's fluid and, and it can change and it will be determined by largely by your diet and lifestyle and the factors, you know, you can be born a vata child who's quite petite and social and friendly, but you could, you know, your parents could split up or you could be you know, be bullied at preschool or whatever. And that would naturally make you more introverted, maybe a little bit more emotional. You might start to eat for comfort food. You might start to put on weight. And a few years down the track, someone will go, oh, this is a kapha child. They're really introverted and they've got all this extra weight. But really it's a vata child with kapha aggravation. So Mm. we're always working with those imbalances first and foremost so that we can try and get you back to your innate dosha because that's what's going to honour your innate needs the most Mm -hmm. once you come back to that centre of balance. Mm, That makes sense. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about obviously the Ayurvedic approach to cleansing Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that really you want to have a solid understanding of your dosha and then say select meals or foods that are going to bring you back into balance with that. Is that correct? Or what would be your approach to cleansing in general with Ayurveda? So I love the Ayurvedic approach to cleansing because it's all about nourishment over restriction. Mm -hmm. So it's not about pulling everything away that you love and that you have in your day-to-day diet. It's about allowing your digestive system just to 
have a bit of a, a break. So still having, you know, beautiful nourishing meals, really simple meals like the juices and all of the beautiful foods that you offer. Um, I had the pleasure of doing the three-day cleanse that you offered and it was absolutely amazing. Um, I felt incredible and, you know, it obviously it works within this the realm of Ayurveda and has, you know, warming spices and things like that to give nourishment and to support the body. So rather than just removing everything, it's like you want to support the body, but you want to do it gently. So when the digestive system is in overdrive, working to digest, you know, heavy meats and fast foods, processed foods, alcohol, coffee, sugar, all these processed foods, our immune system, which is where a lot of our cleansing and detoxification comes from, it takes a backseat because all of our energy is centered around digesting these foods. But once we remove some of the burden from the digestive system, our body, which is our own best healer, like we're designed to keep ourselves alive. We're constantly in a state of, you know, removing unwanted cells, recycling, repairing, healing constantly every day. It's why we sleep. It's to repair and to get ourselves back to that level of homeostasis. And we're so amazing. We're such amazing creatures. We do that so well, but we just need to support the body to do what it was designed to do. So having more nourishing foods, more simple and gentle foods really allow our body to just do the work. And, you know, I think with the products that you offer, I think it is, it would be great to yeah, be aware of your dosha and the kinds of foods that support that. So I can chat you through. I had a look online at all of the offerings that you have. And so for a vata type person, this is the really light, maybe a bit anxious and airy, has trouble getting things done. So they need really grounding foods. So I think the peace range is really great. Mm -hmm. So with the cashews and dates and maca, they're all really grounding for vata. Also the love juice because it's got beetroot, it's got those, and ginger, so it's sort of warming and grounding. So any of the root veggies are really great. root veggies. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Nourishing and grounding. And then the kitchery, the inside Mm -hmm. kitchery would also be really nice for vata. For pitta, they have, you know, all this extra fire in their body. So anything cooling. So the strength and balance, the green juices Mm -hmm. are really good for pitta. Um, also the wisdom so the lentils and coconut so mm-hmm. coconut is cooling in the body so that's really nice and gentle for pitta and the nurture quinoa salad so for pitta because they have that moisture with the water element you don't want too many soupy foods for them mm-hmm. you need more drying foods so like those sort of like quinoa the things that are a bit more wholesome like whole do you know what mm-hmm. I mean not not like mm-hmm. blended down too much so a bit more stable Whereas for kapha, because they're already quite heavy and dominated by that earth element, they're better off having lighter foods. So the Energize, the lemon cayenne elixir, I mean, that's great for all. Mm -hmm. It could be a little bit sour for pitta is heating. Mm -hmm. So I would maybe not recommend that so much for pitta, but definitely for kapha. um, Yeah, it would be stimulating. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So helping them get that little burst of energy in the morning to get things moving. Also the vegan prana, so the broths and the soups and things like that are more suitable for kapha. Kapha is cold by nature, so more of the warming, heating foods um, and the gentle ones like the zen miso as well would be amazing for a kapha type. Mm. But to be honest, I'd say most of them are, you know, quite gentle. So 
you know, I don't think any of them would throw, you know, that's they, they could have called tridoshic in that it wouldn't aggravate any of the doshas in excess. But if you did want to go to the next level and make sure it was perfect, they would be the ones that I'd recommend for each dosha. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. If someone was not sure what their dosha was or they wanted like a tridoshic cleanse, something that would be suitable to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Ayurveda does a lot of kitchery cleanses and stuff like that. Would there be like a general cleanse that you would recommend? Yep, I actually offer one. So mm-hmm. I have a three-day cleanse, which includes a few different recipes, kitchery being the main one, the centre of the cleanse, and then suji, which is semolina porridge or a millet version for anyone who's gluten-free. Outside of that, there's a few warming elixirs. There's like a turmeric latte, um, a dandelion black magic sort of coffee alternative, and CCFT, which is cumin, coriander, and fennel tea, which is amazing for all of the doshas mm-hmm. and a great support for digestion and detoxification. Mm-hmm. So I do offer that on my website, and it's just available all year round, lifetime access, and you can just download it and get the recipes and make it for yourself if you do want to sort of experiment in the kitchen. That's so cool. I also love something that you shared at the beginning of this topic, talking about cleansing and instead of viewing it from this restrictive level of what we're taking away, instead focusing on what you're adding in. So it's like a framework that people can approach cleansing with, you know, like say you're creating a meal, you're first looking at what will be most nourishing for me and what can I add in that will really support my system. And I think that's really a bit of a hurdle for people because they view cleansing as this like total Mm. restrictive. It's going to be super hard. I'm going to be deprivated. Like it's just not as fun. It's not a, not a pleasurable, enjoyable way to go about cleansing as well. Mm So, yeah, it's just like something that people can reframe in their mind of a way of approaching cleansing and a way of healing themselves, which Ayurveda speaks to so beautifully too. Yeah, I agree. Just reframing that, you know, that mindset and going into it as a really nurturing, supportive time than this mm-hmm. like, oh, dreaded, restrictive, you know. But I, in saying that as well, you know, if if I've worked with a few clients who haven't who haven't done any cleanses before and maybe have lived quite a fast pace lifestyle in the city and even my three-day kitchery cleanse can be really because obviously when we're cleansing we're we're supporting our body and removing any of the toxins that have stored and they could have been stored for 10 20 years yes. um ayurveda calls this ama ama mm-hmm. so that's the toxins and when we're releasing those toxins we're processing them and digesting them just as we would food mm-hmm. so you know we can feel quite fatigued quite lethargic you know, have headaches and things like that, it is all a sign that the cleanse is working and we're supporting our body to get rid of those toxins before they then manifest into something more serious down the line. But even though these cleanses are beautiful and nurturing and supportive, they can still obviously have those effects on people. But I always say it's better to do it now, do the work now and, you know, get it out of the system before it becomes anything more serious. Yeah. We get a lot of feedback from people um, really surprised at how much emotions come Mm -hmm. up when they're cleansing, which is just another, I mean, you know, if we really look back to it, emotion is the root. So Mm -hmm. if you're giving your body a chance to really bring up and process these emotions, you're doing some really deep work, um, which I'm sure that you see in clinic as well with your clients, people that are cleansing and all of this stuff that comes up out of the woodwork it's really a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to do some deep healing. 
yeah, we get, you know, these emotions store themselves in different parts of the body in parts where we've had old injuries or certain organs that are connected to certain emotions or emotional vibrations. And, you know, these emotions can get stuck in there and they can be dormant in there for many years. And when we give ourselves the space to allow them to dislodge and to release, then we do, we have to process them um, as if we're experiencing them almost for the first time so that they can come out. Mm. It can be emotional and, you know, physical and on all the levels. Mm. It's funny. People think that they're just going into like do a bit of a body reset and then yeah. they get this whole other level of cleansing, which is yeah. so great. Mm, and I guess it's really beautiful that, uh, sorry, that Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. You can see how that happens because mm-hmm. yoga practice really helps us to unblock these stagnations as well. Yeah. So practicing these two together was will be super powerful as well yeah they go hand in hand and you know ayurveda clean eating um regular cleansing living within seasons is so supportive of your yoga practice because it allows you to be clear it allows you to connect your mind with your body your body does become your temple you do want to nourish it you want to make sure you're only putting in really life-giving prana rich foods And then on the other side, it's like if you're living the Ayurvedic lifestyle and you're cooking well and you're doing these daily practices, of course, you want a a type of movement, a type of union of the body and mind to support that as well. So it's just the most beautiful synergy. Mm. It leads as well into the next point that I wanted to talk to you about, which is ritual, which you are obviously (laughs) well versed in having a book all about Ayurvedic rituals and how rituals can not only support our daily lives, but also support cleansing and really take it to that next level. So would you be able to talk about that with us? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're talking about food and cleansing, but we can do so much to support our physical and our mental well-being throughout the cleanse to further elevate it and to just to, you know, support our body while we're going through those deep changes. One of my favorite Ayurvedic rituals to support cleansing is Abhyanga, which is a self-oil massage. Um, You just use a little bit of warm sesame oil and massage your body basically and it really helps to support the lymphatic system so the lymphatic system which is responsible for detoxification and cleansing doesn't have its own pump so we want to support it through movement so yoga walking things like this but also through abhyanga helps to break down any stores of toxins cellulite you know if you just notice that you've got a bit of an accumulation somewhere this practice of abhyanga helps you to break that down and release it it's a, it flushes the lymphatic system working back through the heart. So it's always in a state of cleansing and detoxification. It's amazing for so many reasons. It's very balancing for Vata, for that airy energy, but supportive of all of the doshas and just a really beautiful way to check in with your body, you know, noticing any lumps or bumps or things like that, that come up so you can recognize them at an early stage but also just to be aware of your body, to have that mm. connection. You know, we we are so busy in the West, we often don't use touch. And when we're touching our body, like, you know, touching your arms and your legs and things like this, it's like creating this connection with yourself. And it's really deeply grounding and nurturing. And it's my, I call it my, you know, antidepressant. It's like if I'm having a bad day I'm feeling a bit out of body or something like that doing an abhyanga practice is just so nurturing and just brings me 
right back into myself. Mm, so luscious. And it really takes that whole cleanse to a deeper level, really developing a deeper connection with yourself through a practice like that and not just making it all about the physical body and the organs and you know it's about your relationship with you and your nervous system and calming down yeah because once we start to calm the nervous system it's when we're supporting you know that healing on all of the levels the mental and emotional and spiritual and just to add to that as well just the daily ayurvedic ritual so the tongue scraping mm-hmm. you know dawn water it's called ushapan having some warm hot water in the morning first thing stimulate digestion and cleanse and also support support the lymphatic system and the immune system and then meditation meditation is an amazing support for cleansing because obviously you're shifting all these emotions they're rising to the surface and through meditation you can let them go let them out reconcile any traumas and just return to that homeostasis and give yourself some breathing space to Mm. just sit and be and allow anything to you know to wash out of of the the mind so there's lots of beautiful practices that we can do to support cleansing that's so nice your book obviously will explore a lot of these practices more deeply they're all broken down step by step and there's lots of recipes in there for self-care mm-hmm. products and self-care rituals that you can do the abhyanga that we spoke about facials and face steaming and foot massage and there's lots of those sorts of things and then how to make all of your own oils and abhyanga blends and face oils and mm. um, oil pulling recipes like the works so it's a really good resource to have yeah it's a really beautiful well to open up to as well once you start like creating your own products and going down that deeply self-care route and it becomes like not an addiction but you really take pleasure in doing all of those little practices and really taking great care of yourself and it's such a good addiction to have you know like I can spend a Sunday just crafting all those things and rose Mm. body butters and eye creams and we've made with ghee and flowers and it's just like the most nourishing, beautiful, whenever I spend a day doing Ayurvedic things, whether it's just cooking a beautiful meal from scratch, whatever it is, I just feel, I just couldn't feel better. Mm, so I always nurturing. feel really feminine yes, and like a little witch fairy just totally. like in my element cooking around my cauldron. <laughs> totally. And just it's sensual and romantic yeah. and just, and it's something you can have with this romance you can have with yourself. It doesn't require any external factors. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So if someone was to come to you for an Ayurvedic consultation, what would that look like? Yeah, so we kind of explore a a very deep dive into your diet and lifestyle practices like, you know, what you eat, when you eat, how you feel afterwards, what you do for movement, for work, your relationships, your, your home life, your emotional traumas, family history, things like this, just exploring these questions to see if we can uncover any underlying cause for imbalance so i have two types of clients some people just want to kind of get to know their dosha and they want to get to know what would work for them in terms of diet and lifestyle and social activities and you know those sorts of things or those clients who have some imbalances sometimes they either don't know what's causing it or don't know what it is they're just kind of waking up and they're not feeling great and they've got you know, average energy throughout the day, a bit of a roller coaster. 
And we can more, we can explore all of these factors to find out what that underlying root cause is. So Ayurveda is all about finding the root cause and removing it rather than just exploring the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then tailoring a really specific treatment plan, including all the foods to eat, including like veggies and different pulses and grains and the whole spectrum, foods to avoid and foods to favor, personalized dinacharya, so certain yoga asanas, um, certain practices that they can do throughout the day um, to support whatever those imbalances are or to just experience more of the Ayurvedic diet and lifestyle. So it's really, it's like a it's like giving over a plan of, you know, mm-hmm. these are the recommended tools that you can start applying to your life to create more balance and to create that connection with yourself so that eventually you can do this for yourself on a daily basis. That's really beautiful. And it sounds like there's a lot of like unmo- emotional unpicking mm-hmm. that goes on in a consultation because if we're talking about getting to the root cause probably people aren't aware of like emotional patterns that they have coming up yes. um, that you may, I'm assuming, illuminate to them and how to yeah. how to address that. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's almost um, psychotherapy in its own way. There's yeah. a lot of kind of working with, you know, trapped emotions, blocked emotions, bringing things to the surface and then, and then you know, giving some tools to know what to do with those feelings and then physical practices as well that support them in building this resilience to be able to release and to move forward with a sense of grounding and an anchor, spiritual anchor and anchor within themselves. So it's a full mind, body, spirit reset and recalibration. Mm. That's really beautiful. What do you do regularly that brings you back home to yourself? I would definitely say my Abhyanga practice is Mm -hmm. the cornerstone of my embodied Ayurvedic practices. Um, If I've been traveling or if I've been just busy with a project or something and I haven't been doing my daily practices, I really notice a difference. Um, And if I'm starting to feel a bit uneasy or unsettled, I'll make sure that I wake up and I do all of the daily practices, starting with the dawn water, just sitting and sipping up to a liter of ginger tea, just doing that really consciously, um, having a beautiful meditation practice. I love using the Insight Timer app. Um, so David G is my favorite teacher on there. You know, if you've got a lot going on in your mind, I think it is nice to have these guided practices, um, mm-hmm. but obviously oscillating as well with just a, you know, just a really simple meditation with no apps or sounds or smells or incense or anything like that, just keeping it really bare bones. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, warming up some Abhyanga oil, some sesame oil, and just giving myself a really beautiful oil massage. Once I've done that, I'm like inf- infallible. I just feel like I can conquer the world. I'm so nurtured. I'm so back in my body, so present. Oh, and what, a, it's- what a way to start the day. So gorgeous, so decadent. (laughs) Yeah. I saw you share on Instagram about the practice that you just mentioned about um, having your dawn water Mm. and you put it in a thermos the night before and you have it sitting next to your bed. And then when you wake up in the morning, you sip on it and use that as a time to just journal or process. And that was so revolutionary to me because normally people will kind of do that practice at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like a very common thing to journal at the end of the day, but really like setting your day up like that, mm-hmm. instead of processing what's happened, you can set yourself up for what's to come, which I feels think, yeah. nourishing and it's decadent for sure. Totally. Yeah. I think that's been such a game changer and I've 
I've shared that with a lot of people who have done my cleanses and consults is having that thermos of water, setting it up at night. So putting a few slices of ginger, I use the juice of about half a lemon and a liter of hot water. And I put that on my bedside table by the morning. It's cooled down enough. So it's not like boiling hot anymore. Mm. When you wake up and you see the thermos there, it's like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Mm. Whereas if you've got to get up, you've got to go to the kitchen, you've got to put the kettle on. If you've got kids running around or your partner starts talking or you check your phone, it's all over. (laughs) and you just don't you just don't get around to it so that was an absolute game changer for me and you know sometimes Mm. you wake up and you're like no maybe I won't do it today maybe I will if it's there it's happening yeah and it is so beautiful and you start and you enjoy it so much and like I'm so glad I did this and it's like if you if you get up and you don't do exercise or you don't do the things you're thinking about it all day or should I exercise on my lunch break or should I go straight Mm. from work to do it if you've done it, you don't need to think about it. You're like, you can pat yourself on the back and go, I did the thing that makes me feel good. I don't need to stress about it. I can just move through my day and be really present with what I'm doing, not thinking about all the things I haven't done. Mm. So that's why Ayurveda loves having these practices and rituals in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because How then, long yeah. does your morning practice take you in total? Um, it varies. So mm-hmm. I can have like a shorter version where I might just do, if I've got someone to be early or something like that, I can just do like a five minute meditation, even five to 10 minute meditation, a quick Abhyanga. So you can do it quite quickly, you know, in as little as five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But there's, I've also got my like deluxe version where I'll do like 20 or 30 minute meditation. I'll light some candles. I'll put some incense on, incense on some nice music and do like a 40 minute Abhyanga. Mm. And if you are cleansing, then a long Abhyanga quite strong and active can really start to break a sweat. So Mm. you're also supporting that detoxification. You're allowing your skin to breathe and perspire and just remove anything. So it's really nice to do a vigorous, Ayurveda says like 30 minute to 30 minute Abhyanga sessions per day when cleansing is ideal. So 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night and having a shower straight after. So you're washing off anything that is expelled in the skin. Mm. So yeah, it's, it just depends on how much time you've got to work with, but I'd say the minimum would be about 30 minutes. Um, But if you're having a really nice, good quality sleep, you're going to find that you've got a spare 30 minutes. You can get up 30 minutes earlier to do these things that are going to make you feel amazing throughout the day. Like it's, Mm. it's investing in your mental health more than anything. We love that investing. It's very true and a good way to frame it. Yes. Uh, I've loved talking to you today. I feel so grounded and nourished <laughs> from our conversation. It's been really lovely. And I'm I'm hoping that everyone listening has a deeper insight into Ayurveda and perhaps is curious to explore it a little more or perhaps to read your book and discover some beautiful rituals that they can instill in their own lives. Would you share with us how people can work with you or perhaps learn about your cleanse or people, yeah, just ways that people can get in touch? Yes. Thank you. I'm so passionate about sharing this um, knowledge. So I just think it can add so much to everyone's lives. So I'm glad that you've gotten something out of it. And yeah, I hope that it inspires other people listening as well. I'm 
on Instagram as Alchemy of Ayurveda, mm-hmm. and that's also my website as well. So on there, um, there's more information about my book, my three-day cleanse, my consultations, and some new offerings that I'll be sharing next year. So you can sign up for the newsletter or check them out and um, feel free to either DM me or send an email if you have any questions. And yeah, I would love to work with anyone out there who's looking to yeah adopt some more of these Ayurvedic lifestyle practices into their life. Beautiful. I'll also make sure that we put your recommendations of the different doshas and different clean, of our cleanse products that can help with that in the show notes of the episode if anyone's curious and lots of links to your website and everything like that. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really love speaking to you. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, we'll talk mm-hmm. soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for journeying with us today. We trust you received the wisdom shared in this episode. If you felt the resonance of the conversation and think it will support other people, please subscribe, share this episode and leave a review. Importantly, before we go, we'd like to acknowledge country and the Bundjalung Nation that we are recording this podcast on. We have so much gratitude for the abundant land we live upon that nourishes and heals us and we hold deep reverence for the First Nations people that care for our country and for the wisdom they keep. May we be open to continue to learn and grow.